Morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? How are you all doing this morning? Good. There's a little bit of response. Good. Oh, yes. Uh, Grades three and under. Uh, You can go down now. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Carlos, have a great class. All right. Well, we are in part two um, of what's going to become four parts of going through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. It was going to be three. Now it's, it's stretched to four. Um, as we get going this morning, I, I want to pose to us the same question that I posed last week at the start of the message, if any of you remember. And that is, and this is as a way to keep this at the forefront of our minds and as a way of encouragement to ask this question to ourselves. And again, kids, teenagers, those of you that are here, this is not now time to zone out and go. This is just for the adults. This isn't for me. There is no junior Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can speak to you just as he can speak to me. Now, you might, sometimes with maturity and understanding, we learn to hear the Holy Spirit better, but he can speak to you. And so this is the question for all of us right now to again ponder and consider. Do I want more of the Holy Spirit? Am I, am I longing and thirsting for more of God's presence in my life? I want to keep, I want to just keep putting that to you to be putting that before the Lord. And, and, I, and I hope and I, I trust that all of us right now, that we're thinking a lot about the Holy Spirit in these days. as We've been going through and talking about the Holy Spirit and having a focus on him now for a number of weeks through our messages and, I, and I, I hope that it's causing you to be stirred up and desire for more of God's presence in your life and encouraging you to be purposeful in these days to deepen, your, to deepen in you a desperation for a move of God and a release of more of his spirit in your life. Now, having said that, I, I don't want to communicate that in a way that you're that can sort of project this just being easy and full of nothing but joy. There is joy, but this, this process of growing to desire more of God's presence and, and his uh, pouring out uh, the release of his spirit in our life, there is a spiritual battle component to this. So if you're feeling like you are having to wrestle through things and there's spiritual warfare... I'm there with you. Like there, there, That is a reality of this. This is not just all easy going. Oh, great. Let's go for more of the spirit. And this is, it's, there's, a, there's a wrestling through this. Satan does not want you to have more of God's spirit at work in your life. And he wants to throw up roadblocks in your life. So you just go, ah, it's not really not that important. And so in that, we need to encourage one another. Keep pursuing. Keep pursuing. So we're going we're gonna to get into today talking about the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to look at them a little bit more intently. And I want to, I wanna, first before we do that, for the first part of today, I want to highlight some things that are sort of on the periphery of this topic this morning and provide some context out of 1 Corinthians before we get into working through the gifts specifically. I think it's important for us to have, again, some context for this as we understand God, how he moves and works through the gifts. So as you might recall, last week we kind of jumped around a bit in in chapter 12, and we specifically looked first at how we understand 
the presence and the release of the Spirit in our lives, how we understand the working of the Holy Spirit, the refreshing of the Holy Spirit, and all of that, and in, in our lives and in the church, and the presumption of body life within the context of a local church, and how that flows into the gifts of the Spirit amongst us, because they are all intricately connected. And so, last week is really actually necessary for the context of today. And I think teachers, you'll understand this. We build on things, right? You build on things. You put out certain things and you're building on things. And that's sort of what we're doing here today. We're building on this understanding of the gifts. So let's, let's pray. Father, we want to come before you this morning. We want to thank you for how you are moving and working in our lives. We want to thank you for your presence here amongst us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we want to ask that you would be moving in our hearts and our minds this morning. Holy Spirit, we want to receive again everything that you have for us, and we want to quiet our hearts right now. We want to hear from you. We want to listen. We want to engage with you. We want to to have communion with you this morning, and we want to go deeper into what you have for us. And so, God, we ask that you would do that in us. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty and wonderful and eternal name. Amen. So we're going to jump in uh, at 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and I want to actually camp on this verse this morning for us. One verse uh, to begin, and that is, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I want to I unpack this verse in particular and the implications of this verse because they're really, really significant for us. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is a change agent? That he is all about bringing change in us. That's an aspect of who he is. He is in the business, if you will, of changed lives, transformed relationships, releasing talents and gifts. And the question is for us, do you believe this for your life? Do you actually believe that, that he is that, that he does change and transform and do incredible work in the lives of people and in your life? Samuel Chadwick, speaking of the work of the Spirit in him, this is what he said. This is like, I think he said this like over a hundred years ago, and it still resonates to this day. He said, every part of my being wakened up. I did not get a new set of brains, but I got a new mentality. I did not get a new faculty of speech, but I got a new effectiveness of speech. I did not get a new dictionary, but a new Bible. Immediately, I was a new creature with the same basis of natural qualities, energized, quickened, reinforced into a bigger vitality and effectiveness that nobody would have ever dreamed possible. That is what happens to those upon whom the Spirit comes. We need to be careful not to spiritualize the Holy Spirit, if that makes sense. He desires to operate amongst us and produce visible glory. It's not theoretical. It is actually change. Something happens in the natural to us that he's doing in us, like he did in Samuel Chadwick. And that's for everyone and anyone. This is, people will see this. This is where, this is where the church, as the church, we can suffer from a lack of credibility 
Because people are like, well, I don't see anything. We do not want to hide and minimize the Holy Spirit and his manifest presence amongst us. So I want to I talk about this understanding the manifest presence of God. Two Sundays ago, I briefly just made a very brief mention about how there's a massive difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God, which is a critical, critical distinction for the church and how we understand this section in Corinthians operating in us. This is how A.W. Tozer explained the difference. He said, the presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. So while the omnipresence and the manifest presence of God are both biblical, they're both real, they're both true to God's nature, that's actually where the similarities end. The manifest presence of God is tangibly perceived. It's generally transformational. It brings change. It's highly personal and specific. It requires consistent prayer and obedience. So this is where we partner. This is where we partner with the Holy Spirit in change in our lives. It doesn't just magically just come. There's a partnering with him in obedience, in prayer, in seeking after. Comes and it comes many times if not most of the time, as a result of desperation in our lives. We get desperate. We're desperate for more of God. We need him to move. And we cry out and we hunger and we seek and we fast. We turn to the Lord. The omnipresence of God is everywhere. And and that's the difference. Yes, it's, it's everywhere. It's generally theoretical rather than transformational. It's impersonal and it doesn't require prayer or obedience. And so the question is, do we want the manifest presence of God? In John 16, when Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit coming, he says he comes to lead us and guide us into all truth. He also says there, though, he says the Holy Spirit comes to bring conviction to our lives in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, him exposing sin, us coming to a realization of the depth of our sin is part of the manifest presence of God. And you read of that in moves of God throughout throughout the ages. When God's presence comes, his manifest presence comes and rests on people. There is an awareness, a crying out of, as we, we come to a realization of, whoa, I am a sinful person who is in desperate need of God's grace and mercy, and I need his work of renewal in me. And I wonder sometimes if that, knowing that that's part of the coming of the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, if we're like, well, you know what? I don't know if I actually want that. I'm kind of just good with the omnipresence because it kind of just lets me keep in my, my comfortable little space. The manifest presence of God is overpowering. So there's a critical question for us to ponder in this. Is the reason that the church is in crisis today in Canada, and it is, because we have settled for the omnipresence of God rather than the manifest presence of God and seeking after it? 
our openness to and hunger for the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit and in our lives and amongst the church, it will have a defining influence on how we understand and desire the gifts of the Spirit. So throughout this chapter, Paul is he's bringing the Corinthians back again and again to the crucial importance of the body. He, he's, what he's revealing here is that the gifts of the Spirit are not for the personal whims or enjoyment of the individual. They're for the glory of God and therefore the good of others in the body. And so what we see actually is that the gifts are a secondary issue. They're, they're actually a secondary issue here to serving, loving, and caring for one another. Ephesians 5.21 talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Philippians 2 says, place just as much importance on the needs of others as your own needs. They're, they're just as important. In fact, you should consider them before you consider your own needs, Paul says there. You, you won't do this outside of growing and deepening relational connection with one another. You'll have no desire to want to put someone else's needs above your own. This is where a little inside details of what was happening in Corinth help us to understand what's happening here. They, they seem actually to have a lot of similarities to our, some of our Western individualism and our inclination to division in the church. And the results were not good. There seems to have been this this competition or this discord or strife that was present as a result of how the spiritual gifts were being used and sought after by the Corinthians. We, even, we see that even in how they were partaking of communion earlier in 1 Corinthians, where they, were, they weren't caring for one another in the Lord's Supper. There was a I'm better than you mentality that had taken root in the body. And Paul's addressing this all over this chapter. That's what he's saying. This is for the common good. He's pointing out multiple times that all the gifts are given are the work of the one and same spirit. I wonder if there was some in the body in Corinth that were saying, oh yeah, there's different levels of the Holy Spirit and I'm here and you're, you're here. I've received a greater anointing than you have. Look at me. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, we can see where there was this taking pride in one person over another. Oh, I follow Paul. Oh, no, no, I follow Apollos. He, Apollos is where it's at. No, Paul's where it's at. And Paul asks them then in response, what do you have that you did not receive? Like, like everything you have has been received from the Lord. And if you did receive, why do you boast as if though you did not, as if you somehow have manufactured this and look at me. He's saying, God gave it to you. He goes to great lengths to remind them there's many different parts to the body. There's, no, there's to be no division in the body. There's to be equal concern for each other. Guard against self-serving. Guard against individualism. Guard against arrogance. Guard against def defensiveness. Guard against self-pity. Guard against all of that in the body. He also shows them how the gifts are for everyone. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. We'll look at this a little bit more next week, but it speaks of when we come together there, everyone has a song. Everyone has a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. It's speaking of the invitation for everyone to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And I think I'm willing to stand on this, that God desires that his people come ready to engage and participate together. 
Don't, don't receive this as a pressure like I have to. Receive it more as the joy of I get to. I get to come and I get to bless others. It might be simply coming here and simply singing songs. It might be that, coming on a Sunday morning, standing, singing songs, and others around you are encouraged because they see your witness through your singing, and it speaks to others. Simply through that. It can be just that. And it can be a whole lot more. To us, to each of us, is given the manifestation for the good of others. We are told to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, eagerly. And and Paul doesn't just say that once. He says it at the end of chapter 12, and then he reiterates it at the beginning of chapter 14. Desire them. So this is one of those parts in the New Testament that can really change how we see our connection and approach to the body amidst a very individualized Western culture. Church is not a spectator sport. I know, you're like, well, I'm all, we're all sitting here listening. Yes, there's this aspect, but this is not the only aspect. And even now, there's an engaging that can happen. There's actually an engaging in how you can engage with whoever's speaking in a way that we're participating in this together. It's meant, church is meant to be participatory. So how can you come and be intentional in being engaged and ready to participate here? This is why consistent presence in the body matters to build and grow relationships, to be planted. And we need a vibrant theology in these days when it comes to gathering and the worship of the saints. We are the saints. Do you know what? You are the saints. You are a saint. And we need a vibrant theology in coming together. What we engage in and participate here together, week after week is forming us, it's forming you as the people of God. And as we eagerly desire the gifts of the spirits amongst us, it witnesses to the world. How does it do that? Well, it can be they see week after week a bunch of cars in the parking lot and they go, what are those people doing? It might be you saying, having a, a, a conversation with a coworker, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going to church or afterwards. Hey, hey, what did you do this weekend? I went to church. I went and worshiped with people. I went and gathered together. That's witnessing. The gifts are given to us to serve as well. The church is called to serve. We are placed in the world to serve. Now, I know it doesn't say that explicitly here. Well, what's the chapter and verse there, Paul, in chapter 12? It's not there explicitly, but it's implicitly all over this chapter community empowered and mobilized by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how we sustain and grow vitality in the church. Our gifts are to be used practically, really practically, and in what might seem like really ordinary situations, mundane tasks as part of the body. It might be planting flowers in the spring, helping with that. It might be coming and helping cut down trees when we do that. It might be all sorts of things. It might be computer. It might be children's ministry. It might be cleaning up after someone else. There's just a host of things that are like, well, that's just kind of ordinary stuff. Yeah, but we're participating together. And it grows character and maturity too. 
It grows responsibility, putting others' needs above your own and above your own schedule. Our call to reach the world is not at the expense either of presence and participation in the local church. It's both. The one supports the other. And where we get that disjointed, all sorts of weird things begin to happen. We're called to be joined together as followers of Jesus and supporting one another. Now, the individualism of our culture tells us that you and your desires are of the utmost importance. Just live it up. It's for you. And so we are influenced by that. So we have to foster this in our lives. Jess and I, we were youth leaders uh, for a little more than 10 years, when just before we were married and then after we were married. And as part of that, as part of being youth leaders, we were committed to Friday nights. That was the, and, and other things too, but Friday nights, commitment to being involved on Friday nights as young 20-year-olds meant that we were constantly sacrificing things with friends, with other events. Because why? Because we were committed to being involved in youth ministry. We, we missed a lot of stuff. And sometimes it grated on me. Surprise, surprise. There was times where like, I was like, I do not want to go tonight. I want to do this instead. No, I'm committed. And, and, and those times too, it exposed immaturity in me where I was, it was about, it was about me. But it was good to be held to a standard. And the reality of a larger church was, if I didn't want to, if I wasn't willing to do what was asked of me, I would be replaced. Because there was the standard. Paul, you need to, this is what's expected of you as a leader and as a volunteer. Okay. These are important aspects to hold before us as we examine the gifts a little closer. The gifts are a secondary issue to how we treat one another. They are for everyone, though, and we use our gifts to serve others. So let's, let's get into the gifts here in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's, uh, let's read a few verses, verse 8 to 11, and then we're going to jump uh, over to the end of chapter 12 and read the, the back end of the chapter as well. Verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one as he determines or as he wills. Another interpretation might say that. Okay, let's jump over to the back in verse 28 to 31. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. So let's go through these a little bit. The message and the, or the word of wisdom in verse eight. It says, to some is given the message of wisdom. Now, 
Paul, he's, he, earlier in 1 Corinthians, he talked about this message of wisdom. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, he's, he's talking about how we speak a message of wisdom or we impart a secret wisdom from God. Now, early, and earlier before that, he had talked about how Christ is the wisdom of God. Jesus himself is the wisdom. The, this gift of wisdom is rooted in the message and in the hope of Jesus, that it's the power of God brings life, and it doesn't swerve from suffering, surrender, humility, redemption. All of that is the wisdom of Jesus. And so when gifts of wisdom in the church, when they start to distance themselves from some of that truth, we should rightfully ask questions. But God's secret wisdom revealed to us by the Spirit, spiritually discerned, Paul says it's available to all. We have the mind of Christ. But this, this can also, this comes with growth and maturity. It comes with learning how to distinguish when the Lord is speaking. And I go into a lot greater detail into this when we've taught the Hearing God course. And we sort of get into this a little bit more and, and really um, dial down into it. And it's really helpful for us to understand. But it's careful, we have to be careful with this and in any of these gifts, but careful with this, it's my gift type of thinking. Because the Greek here, the tense in the Greek suggests that this isn't necessarily a permanent gift. God uses different individuals at different times. All of us can come with the expectation that God will manifest his spirit in us for the good of the body. And so this minimizes any of this like guru mentality thinking or superstar pastor thinking like that guy, he's the one that's got it all. No, that's not what it says here. It says that this is available to all and God might, you know, this Sunday, I'm, I'm giving this wisdom to this person. I'm giving it to this person now. It's not that it's necessarily permanent, but we have to and will open uh, we, we, well, we talked about this this morning, Carlin, it was, it was a great example where we open up our services for God to speak through one another, right? We, and, it, and it needs to be done in order. Paul says that later in 1 Corinthians 14, it's done in order. Those with a word come to the leader of the service and they run it by them. It's just, it's walking in humility. And I've, I've had to have that before. I've had to, I thought I had a word, came to the leader of the service and he's like, I don't think that's for right now, Paul. And in that moment, I've got to, I had to go, okay, I've got to just humble myself. And I thought I'd really heard from the Lord. And the leader was like, I, I just, I'm not sure about that. But this is why it's done in order. But it's, it's allowing and it's encouraging the using of the gifts of wisdom. Then it goes on. Paul talks about the message or the word of knowledge. In, and this might be like particular insight into certain situations or circumstances. It can be closely tied to the gift of prophecy in the church. And we see this in Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, where they come before the church leaders and, and P Peter exposes them. God, God reveals some stuff to Peter that they were lying and being deceptive about what they had said to the church about selling their land and, and they hadn't given all that they had gotten. We won't go into the rest of the story. It's not good what happened to them. But that, that was a message of knowledge that exposed hypocrisy in the church. And so this, this gift needs to be treated with maturity because it can be very harmful in the wrong hands or with, done with the wrong spirit. Perhaps the difference with this, and you go, well, what's the difference between this and a word of wisdom? 
right? Like they, they seem to be very, very close. It might, it might just come down to specifics where a word of knowledge is just more specific than a word of wisdom. But we, in that too, we have to be careful when we share that we're not saying, thus saith the Lord. Rather we say, you know, I feel the Lord might be saying this. And, and go away and discern that. See what, what the Lord's saying about that. It's not, I know that the Lord is saying this. I saw, I saw openness to this model, uh, modeled for me at a fairly young age in my faith and in my walk with Jesus. And it was great because I learned, it was modeled and I learned to receive words from people and invited them. I, I learned how to invite them to give me words. Now, some, some were way off. I got some words that were like, yeah, that's, that's off. And it was proved to be off. But I also got words that were super accurate for my life. Like Jess and I have gotten some words together as a couple that were just like shockingly accurate for us. And I, 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 I go into more of that actually when I uh, teach here in God. I go into some of the more details of that and how God moved in that. It was so, and it's encouraging, super encouraging. All right, next we come to the gift of faith. So this is not referring to saving faith. It's not referring to the faithfulness that comes as a result of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness in our character. And this is not also to be understood as like positive optimism or uh, it's not also to be understood as dogmatic assertion, meaning like someone comes in and says, she will be healed. And clearly the pain is still there and clearly that person is still suffering and there's like this dogmatic assertion to it. It's not that. But it might be more along the lines of, of the faith in Hebrews 11 where it speaks of those there, they believed in what was not seen. They were certain of that which was not yet received. So many times this gift of faith may be linked with miracles, gifts of healing. This, it's a supernatural faith that someone is operating in. But this can also be really ground level in the church type faith, where it's, it's speaking faith into specific situations in the church, speaking life into the church that's not just optimistic, but supernatural, like reminding us of the greatness of God, reminding us of his power amongst us. Ephesians 1 talks about that for us. Building faith in one another and calling out God's purposes in one another. This is sometimes, this happens when we pray for one another. This is another, this is a great reason to invite people to pray for you because the Holy Spirit will speak through someone praying for you and they'll begin to operate, calling out things in you. That's the gift of faith. They're speaking things into your life. Now, that comes as we open ourselves up and say, yeah, I want to receive that from people. And it's the Holy Spirit speaking. Then we get into gifts of healing, it says. Now, what's interesting here is this is clearly plural and not singular, meaning it's not just talking about a super-duper healing ministry. It's the work of God's grace to bring healing in many different areas in people's lives. Not simply physical, it's emotional, psychological, spiritual, and physical, yes. But, you know, even our physical issues may be a result of what's happening in other areas in our lives. Emotional trauma, psychological trauma that's actually affecting us physically. And God comes in and he begins to heal and do his work. So these are, these are gifts distributed in the body. Again, it's not necessarily a specific person. And it demonstrates, these, these 
gifts demonstrate Jesus is Lord. Now, the, the thing with us is we've been so influenced by the Western world of medicine and specialized professionals that there's an aspect where we've just largely abandoned this in the church, where there's, there's a lack of people seeking prayer. Or, you know, we, we seek all manner of treatment, but do we seek prayer and healing? Do we actually come to the Lord and ask him to heal us? Or do we just kind of say, well, this isn't, this isn't for now. God does move in and through and alongside health professionals too. I'm not saying that he isn't. He does do that. The advancements in medicine can certainly be seen as God's grace and his gift to us. Professional Christian counselors, like a gift to the body. Professional counseling has been such a gift to my life. And, it's a, and, and that's, that's a professional who God's using to, to heal, to bring healing in people's lives. But there's also specifically embracing God as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. The Lord is our healer. Many different forms of this in the church. There can be many different forms. There's, there can be care and pastoral ministries that can be a conduit for this healing. And, and so the question with that is, how, how, do, we, how do we stir that up? amongst us? How do, how, do we, how do we welcome that? How do we grow in that? How do we create room for that? Those sorts of ministries. Because this healing in all sorts of, of different ways right now is such a need in our culture. There's deep need for healing. And in the time that we're in right now, there's trauma that's happening now. People are going to come out and need healing. Verse 10 goes on, talks about miraculous powers. This is speaking of God's energy manifested in powerful ways amongst us and in the lives of people. It might be referring to demonic possession and healing from demonic possession. I saw this several times when we were in India where they have a much greater openness to the spirit realm and they've invited all sorts of spirits into their culture and they, they openly worship them. They have, they have shrines everywhere. They worship these demonic deities. And so we saw people delivered from demonic possession. That is not pretty, but it's God coming in and God's power moving powerfully. And the difference in people when that happens is profound. It is like the guy that Jesus cast the legion out of in scriptures. It's like that. You're like, this is a different person. And again, Western culture has moved so far away from this and this influence is it's prevalent in the church today. It's just, it's all about the natural. We don't, we don't, we just don't think that that can even be possible. We, we dismiss the possibility of God's manifest power. And we, and we use, this is what's so interesting. We use our lack of experience. We've pushed it down for so long. And then we use our lack of experience in this. And we go, oh, that's evidence. God doesn't move like that anymore. And it's like, just look around in the world. God's moving like this all over the place. Do we pray and petition the Lord for this? Would we even think to pray for God's manifest power in a situation where the demonic is manifesting? We, and and the, this, is, this gets tricky because we've dismissed all of this and we've put it all into the realm of mental health. It's all mental health. Yes, mental health is a real thing. I'm not dismissing that. But 
there's also the reality of demonic powers. One of the safeguards is for this ministry, because we need to have safeguards for it, is to operate within the church, to ensure wisdom and maturity in how this is handled, because it can be mishandled, it can be abused. Right, Paul then goes on, he talks about distinguishing between spirits or the gift of discernment. And in the context of this chapter, it could mean the discerning of spirits. Yes, like whether this is the Holy Spirit, whether this is the flesh, or whether it's demonic um, powers manifesting. But it also may mean, just might refer to a more general meaning of the gift of discernment. We see an example of this in Acts 16, where there's that girl following Paul in Philippi, and, and she's bothering them. And he recognizes that it's a demonic spirit in her, and he confronts her and the demonic spirit and rebukes it and casts it out of her. And that was, that was a gift of discernment in Paul going, he saw what was operating in her. But we can, we can see the benefit of this at work within the church where, you know, there's checks and balances. And, and again, the tense here of this gift suggests that this gift isn't necessarily for just specific people for all, that they have all the time, but that it's released by the Spirit into different people at various times. And again, it guards against misuse. All right, now we jump down into verse 28. Another gift, helping others, or the gift of helps. That's, it's been referred to as that. Once again, this word here refers to the gift as opposed to the person, suggesting, again, this is for anyone in the church. Some suggestions have, have been that this may have been, depending on the way the word is used in the Greek, that this may actually refer to people specifically dealing with the handling of money in the church. And those who help in the area of finances in the church, we know that's a great gift, actually, for the church. But the most common interpretation of this word implies assistance of any kind. This working to the Lord and not to others. That we're, we're working for the Lord. And it's, it, it implies this meaning of taking a burden on oneself instead of another. You're taking it on so that someone else doesn't have to bear it. This is, this is the posture of this kind of ministry in the church where we're motivated to look where we can serve, where we can help share the load of responsibility within the body. Again, something like computer ministry, something like children's ministry as a, is a really practical example of where can we share the load of responsibility and take on a burden so that it doesn't just fall on someone else and we just, we just kind of pretend that it doesn't exist and someone else will take care of it. No, we're looking to help. Not expecting the few to carry the majority of the work, but desiring to come alongside and serve. That's what this is talking about here. And the last gift we'll, we'll mention is the gifts of administration. The, the translation of the Greek word here is really interesting. It means uh, piloting. Someone, someone who's, who's, uh, who's piloting something. Those who have their eyes set on the destination and are intent on getting people there. That's a really good definition of people who are gifted in administration. They see where we need to go and they're getting people there. Those who have this ability, they, they plan, they lead, they're focused on the ultimate goal and what it will take. There's, it's people of vision, people of, of sensitivity of how we have to go about it. 
Many times this, is, this, this gift can be handled in teams of people. It's actually a, a gift that's shared by a team. And aspects of this gift, many times we see in the church, are found in team leaders, where there's this, this visionary component of, this is, this is where we got to go. It's an enabling ministry within the church body, and it's actually incredibly important. All right. So, you're like, well, what about tongues and prophecy? Where, where are we going with tongues and prophecy? I've pushed that off again. As I was, not, not purposely, uh, as I was going through this, I was like, okay, I, I can't, you know, we did a very brief overview of the gifts here this morning. And then I, and I was, as I was prepping, I'm like, well, if, if I go into tongues and prophecies, like, do you want to be here for another 40 minutes? You're probably not. So we'll, we're going to talk about that. We're going to focus on 1 Corinthians 14 next Sunday. And, and there's some other stuff in 1 Corinthians 14 that we, we want to look at and, and uh, unpack a little bit. And we want to give sufficient time to that. So I want to I leave you with some application for this coming week. Um, again, for some time, some of your time with the Lord, something you can reflect on, something you can journal on, pray into, put before the Lord uh, when it comes to the gifts and again, growing in the spirit and growing in our desire for the spirit. Number one, I think they're on, yeah, there they are, they're on there. Um, and we, we post these on social media, we, we put these on, on our accounts and stuff, uh, so if, and if you want, if you, if you need them for any reason, I can get them to you too. How do I approach my presence and participation in the church body? First question. And then, how can I come expectant and asking the Holy Spirit to release his gifts in me? Number two, how am I serving and helping to edify the body of LCF for the common good? And if not, why not? Number three, have I considered taking a spiritual gifts test or a personality test to help me understand where I might be gifted to serve? Like, what is your bent? What are the things that you naturally gravitate to? You know, I, I mentioned this uh, last week. And I, I, I felt often, maybe I should have, you know, it's helpful. Like when I was, when I received the Holy Spirit uh, and the release of the Spirit in my life years ago, and then I, I was talking about how I experienced um, just this, this shocking uh, awareness that I actually had the gift to teach. And others around me were like, you have the gift to teach. That wasn't just this Holy Spirit coming on me. And I had never had a gift before that to speak. I had actually taken a year of college in, in radio broadcasting. I thought that was where I was going to go into journalism. And so there was things in me already that got, there was natural things that God had placed in me, but it was his supernatural filling of the spirit in me, the release of his spirit in me, that then released that in me where I didn't realize what God was actually calling me to in my life. And so that, that's, again, that's all about, we have certain natural talents, certain natural bents in us, that God has placed in us, that then he wants to pour out his spirit, release his spirit in us, and they become an, we become even greater able to use those gifts in the body and for the, for the advancement of his kingdom. All right, that's enough clarification on that. Number four, where might God want to stretch and grow me in my life in 2021? So bring it right now into where we're at, 2021, to serve and bless others in the church? Where might he be saying, hey, there's that area. Hey, I'm speaking to you about this area. 
Where, where is he calling you to serve? And, where, and again, the in invitation and encouragement of this is, he'll release more of his spirit in you and the gifts in you, and you'll operate in a supernatural capacity for the good of others and for the glory of God. Who doesn't want that? Amen? All right. Jen, why don't you, uh, why don't you come up? Hannah, if you want to come up. And um, we're going we're gonna to end. We're going to worship. I, I want to, again, just bring it back to encouraging us to open ourselves up to receive more of the Spirit. This is not asking for the God to release more of a spirit in us, hungering and desiring for more of the spirit is intricately connected to the release of his gifts in us, the manifestation of the spirit in us and amongst us for the common good. And so as we worship, I encourage you to, to be seeking after, going after that, asking the Lord, pursuing. And if you would like prayer for anything in this regard or anything, in it, really, we want to pray for you. And again, you know, we want to operate in the gifts here, in faith, in knowledge, in praying for one another, in releasing what God has for us amongst us. So we'll, we'll be, if you want to come up and you want to receive prayer and you're comfortable with that, we'd love to pray for you this morning as well. Amen. Bless you folks. Let's, let's worship together.